The following is brought to you by Braided Media. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Narratives of Purpose. My name is Claire Morigande. I am a scientist by training, a TEDx speaker, and your host on this show. This podcast is dedicated to amplifying social impact by bringing you inspiring individual stories of ordinary people making extraordinary impact within their communities and around the world. If you're looking for a program that showcases unique stories of change makers, stories of people who are contributing to make a difference in society, and at the same time you want to be inspired to take action, then look no further, you are in the right place. So get comfortable and listen in to my conversations. episode, I continue to discuss inclusion with my new guest, Eleni Janis. Eleni is Managing Partner and Chief Investment Officer at Equivico, a woman-owned impact investment firm based in New York. In this conversation, we speak about her research and her work at the intersection between investing and social justice, with a particular focus on developing access to capital for small businesses. Eleni's firm, Equivico, is in fact driven by a strategy of inclusion, and they champion new models for a better and more inclusive economic system. Please take a moment to rate and to review our show, wherever you get your podcasts. And for now, listen to Eleni's journey and her passion to advance the economy in different ways. A warm welcome to you on the podcast, Eleni. It's really a great pleasure to have you on. You're joining me from New York. How are you doing today? Hello, Claire. I am doing great. It's a pleasure to be here and virtually in uh, Switzerland. So before we start, you know, tell me a bit over yourself. Can you introduce yourself for our listeners? What is your background and what led you to create Equivico? Yes, Equivico by the National Community Reinvestment Coalition. It is indeed an, an impact investment firm. Uh, with that provides services primarily focused on investment management and, and and deploying capital to underserved businesses and communities with the goal of untapping both market opportunities, niche markets that haven't been tapped, and but also and, and foremost to provide access to quality capital for businesses and people who have traditionally been uh, cut out of that capital and giving them the opportunity to both fulfill their full potential, but also actually create more economic um, GDP, ultimately grow our economy in ways where everyone is lifted up in more inclusive ways that the times call for. So how did I get here? I think the name of our company, Equivico, tells a bit of our story. Uh, it stands for equality and victory for all, and that is founded in the experience that I have had, uh, as well as um, our, my partners at the National Community Reinvestment Coalition, which is a diverse career experience founded in inclusive economic policies and economic development. Uh, just a quick uh, overview of my even personal uh, history. I, I was born and raised in Greece, and I lived briefly as well in Europe but I've spent most of my adult life in the U.S., in New York, and working in Washington, D.C., of course, New York City, but also states across the country. 
my work has been rooted, um, and especially the beginning in, in social science and research. Studying for years um, at the Opportunity Agenda, matters public policy and systems, especially the financial system and public policy in the United States, so on the federal level, on the local level, and how the design of those systems and the implementation of the systems have led and created discrepancies and inequalities, whether those inequalities happen across racial lines, across uh, socioeconomic lines, gender or geographic lines. Absolutely, it is the case in the U.S. that uh, the color of your skin, your gender, and certainly where you're born, you know, is it a lower income community, will define and do define your prospects in life and what you may accomplish, at least for, you know, the majority of the population. And so my background is vested, is founded um, in that very deep understanding of systems and personally a passion for big change. I've, um, uh, maybe it is uh, reflected in my own uh, story of, of migrating um, to uh, a different country very far away from what was home at the time. Um, but the ability and belief that question uh, what is around you, take nothing for granted, and, uh, and pursue change when it's needed is something that has fundamentally led both my life but also my career. I do believe that curiosity, curiosity and questioning what happens is important, not because it necessarily needs to change. A lot of things are great as they are, but only when we understand our environment, why what happens happens, why the train runs the way it does, and also why do you personally act the way you do. Only when we gain that awareness of self and system, I think we can both be more conscious citizens of the world, but also pursue change and even economic change and opportunity and create success and profit. You mentioned something there about research, and you also say that since you're in the US, you did a lot of research. Tell me how that connects with the way you came up with creating Equivico and how you use that research in what you do today. Our research was focused on understanding inequalities, as I said, in order to develop both communications and policies in the United States. I will draw just a few examples um, of key findings that are informing how we finance lending today and how we think and design solutions that improve access to capital for underserved businesses. One of the most fascinating, I would say, is that the work that we did on studying biases, both implicit and explicit bias, individual and systemic. Um, and we did that work with uh, top scientists in the United States, from Berkeley to other universities and practitioners. One of the things is um, how, when we look at um, systemic lending, so in lending, when, uh, when, when a lender, a bank or an alternative lender considers the, an application from a small business for a loan, will use a range of data, more or less, depending on the lender, to determine the credit worthiness. Ultimately, to determine that if I give you $100,000 as the lender, will you pay it back? And what's the possibility of you paying it back on time um, and overall paying it back? The information that goes into making that assessment could and sometimes absolutely does carry with it bias that can um, disadvantage certain populations. 
So, for example, if in your application you you if in that if in that analysis of uh, credit worthiness you use a reference to um, geography where you are based in the U.S. or um, or your status of, as a homeowner, it is likely, as we know from the data analysis, that people who are black or people who live in certain regions of the United States will be dinged negatively in their application. They may lose certain points. And in this case, I'm referring to an automated analysis of risk assessment that is mostly used in tech-driven lenders. So we know that if you are actually have been born in a lower income area or are of a certain race, that the likelihood of being a homeowner is less likely. The fact, though, that you may not be a homeowner doesn't determine the value of your business or your ability to actually pay it back. For that matter, there are studies that show that if you're not a homeowner, there may be actually, you may be more likely to pay, your, you may be more invested even in your business and have more flexibility of cash flow to accommodate the, the needs of your business. And we should remember that at least the businesses that we work with, these are very small businesses that have 50 or less employees. Uh, and in some cases, you know, they may have 20 employees. So really the success of the business is intrinsic to the livelihood of the founder. And, and there is more data not to get uh, lost in that. But certainly, so my understanding and my research and our research at the time of how systemic bias may impact real-life outcomes and may impact whether a business can actually access capital or not has absolutely has informed what we do today in a way that's very practical. So we have our own standards of underwriting and we know what is fair lending and what isn't. And when we work with lenders, we examine their process to understand what they do and change and ask to change it when it's necessary to align with our standards. So that is on systemic um, bias. Now, another topic that, um, that, that fascinates me and certainly informs what we do today, and I think it's a matter that impacts most people and most professionals, is implicit individual bias. And fortunately or unfortunately, we as human beings, and I think you've studied biology, Claire, so you may know that, um, we use shortcuts in order to make very, very fast decisions in our daily lives. So, for example, when we cross the street, or considering crossing the street, we see a red or a green light. And depending on that light, we decide to cross the street. However, though, you don't sit at the light thinking for about, you know, one minute whether you should cross or not. It is an it's a shortcut that happens in our brain, a very a split, a split second decision that happens based on the sign that you get. So similarly, um, those shortcuts are very common across our everyday life. And that is actually how bias are created. I know I'm oversimplifying this, actually, and some scientists will, you know, say, oh, well, we can add some detail. But like at the basis of it, that's what bias is. They're misinformed in this case, shortcuts that impact our decisions. So one of that shortcuts in lending may be, which may be that if you are um, African-American, if you're black and you're a business owner and walk into a bank to ask for a loan, the officer that sits them. May, the loan officer may have somehow um, unintentionally or intentionally may have formed an opinion that you are more likely to default on your loan because of the color of your skin. And what that, ha what that does is that it impacts implicitly, I think largely, how that loan officer will treat your application. 
the National Community Reinvestment Coalition, which is again my partner and in this and where the Equivico started from, has run for several years mystery shopper studies where they have sent uh, a business, you know, pretend to be business owners of different color, gender, race to, um, to banks to ask for a loan. And, and we have seen these behaviors I'm describing. So, for example, if you are African American, you are less likely to be offered a business card from the loan officer. You are less, it's less likely, significantly less likely that you will be encouraged to apply. And your meeting tends to be, and if I remember correctly, the meeting tends to be short. It tends to be a short conversation. Admin people are discouraged from applying largely because of the color of their skin. And we couldn't say that's why it happens, but we know when we look at the data that it does happen more often that people of color are discouraged when they seek a loan. So when we think about um, how that research going again back that I've done, but the research that it is available, how it informs our work today, it absolutely informs in an extremely practical way. From our assessment of data analytics in the underwriting process to knowing what is the experience of someone who has a very small business, who may be black, who may be a woman, when they have traditionally gone to a bank branch, if even one is available in their neighborhood, to actually ask for a loan? Like we know what the experience has been, at least you know we think we know based on research, based on experience of the people around us, and then in the way that we choose to work with lenders, for example, online lenders, we take that into consideration. Which is why, um, in addition to some very good responsible lenders on the ground with physical branches, we actually believe in the power of online lending uh, and a little bit more impersonal approach and access and reach to these businesses because surveys show that um, a small business that has been discouraged from applying from a loan in the past may be more likely to apply for a loan online, in part perhaps because of that lack of um, even you know, potential of shame. Because like, I don't know if you've ever been in a bank, I've, I've been in a position, maybe as we all have to ask for money, maybe you ask for your, as a child, your dad, you know, or your mom. And, and as an adult, people don't like, you know, money is not an easy conversation to have. And then when you feel constantly discouraged from pursuing it, there is there are a lot of elements in it, including maybe even a self-embodiment of the idea that you're not worthy of it. Let me take an example. Let's say, so I am a black woman. I am now moving to the US because I'm now in Switzerland and I want to open my business and I have, let's say, 10, 15 employees. I've had this first experience, perhaps with my branch in my neighborhood. It didn't work well. How could you support me in getting the loan that I need? And if I'm tempted to go also online. So my question is a bit twofold. It's like, how do you support the small businesses? Is it more online or is it more also uh, in a different way? So if you were in the U.S. and you're looking for a small business loan, how would we, how would the help you? You can absolutely go to the Equivico website and especially in the next month or so, equivico.com and, um, and, and say that you're interested in a loan. So you would fill out a form. So at that point, what we do is that we connect you. We would send you, would direct your interest to the lender that works with us and uses our capital to finance a loan. So you can go to equivico.com and express your interest without you knowing. I mean, of course, everything is transparent, but it's a very smooth process. So it's not, uh, it's a smooth process. You click, uh, you know, you click here, you click there, you uh, find yourself in the place where you make, uh, where you submit your application for a loan. In the past and also in the future, we'll have also additional 
services for small businesses, which can also be found on our website. So you're basically an intermediary and you work with different um, lenders and your, your range of partners is growing. How fast is it growing? And why I'm asking is that is, do you see this, that the, the interest is really growing and people are ready to invest in small businesses? Or do you think it's still, you know, doing some convincing work to do when we're not there yet? We are relatively new. We've been working on this for at least a couple of years, but we have launched the fund uh, just a few months ago. So we are growing with as this movement for small business uh, financing is also growing. So on the side of the investors, the pandemic, um, COVID-19 and the severe consequences on small businesses has shed a light and rekindled the conversation about small businesses being the backbone of the American economy, which is something we say a lot. And, but I'm not sure that we always actually realize how important the role is. The pandemic really helped shed a light on this, both because there were a lot of news about small business closing, it was small businesses not being served by certain institutions um, during the pandemic when government used private institutions to deploy government-backed funding. And in addition to that, we actually saw how important small businesses are in our everyday life. Because if you walked down the street and you saw certain stores closed, or maybe you had a conversation with a small business owner and you realized how hard they tried and how successfully they are in perhaps pivoting their business and staying alive, um, it really brought, I think, a ground level awareness of the importance of small business. Traditionally, there's been, you know, there's been a class of investors that have financed that, which is mostly really banks. That has changed. That's been changing. That is actually part of, of our mission as a company is to educate investors in new asset classes or new opportunities for investing where you generate returns, but also social impact. And small business is our focus right now. And there is increased interest, uh, both from philanthropic foundations, the endowment side, where they're asking more questions and really want to make a difference there. We work with the established Nyakos Foundation, a large international uh, private philanthropy. We work with them to um, support small businesses in, in this way, in providing financing. And then there are institutional investors who, become, who are becoming very interested. I will say that with institutional investors, they're becoming very interested in ESG, environmental social governance investing overall. And we propose this and definitely can certainly advocate and back for the case that small business lending is certainly a socioeconomic positive impact, impact type of investing. We do get very good response, and, uh, and I do hope that we will help grow the market, um, the market there, and that we will connect ultimately new capital to new capital, bring capital to this asset class, as I like to call it, up capital that in the past didn't have access even to invest in small business lending. Um, yeah, so I'm positive it's going well. And I hope that uh, in addition to Equivico, others will pursue the same. And just out of curiosity, do you also have individual investors or you're only working with institutions and, and philanthropic organizations? We largely work with uh, institutional investors, but we would also work with high net worth individuals. Yes, individual investors. We have 
individuals, as we've now started fundraising, uh, who are very interested. And, and, and honestly, some large uh, family offices um, may um, really, they may and really enjoy working with us, even outside of the context of this specific strategy, um, because they tend to be individuals who are very focused on the impact they want to make. They're trying to define the impact we want to make. And in Equivocal, they find a partner that is absolutely genuine. Like There's no greenwashing. I mean, we're the opposite of greenwashing, but we know the system very well. We know exactly you know, how to, what to do with changing. Of course, we remain open on innovating and becoming better at it. So uh, high net worth individuals usually find um, a great partner in their own journey of investing their money in a different way. And speaking about impact, how do you measure the impact of what you're doing for the businesses? Our impact framework is largely based on economic impact analysis, which is a method, traditional method of measuring the impact of a project or capital on the local economy. So that is fundamental in our measurement. In addition, we use uh, Gene, which is the leading fill capacity uh, think tank industry measure in the US uh, for impact measurements. So we have combined our know-how with Gene's framework, which incorporates the SDGs. So SDGs, for those who don't know, is the Sustainable Development Goals, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. The Sustainable Development Goals, among them is a goal to fight poverty. And those are very broad, broad, high-level goals. But Gene does have, um, I find that they have the most robust uh, guide online for investment managers, but even others, I think, and, and institutional investors as well. And to get your perspective on, you know, looking forward and in the future, you were speaking about um, systemic bias and you want to influence policy as well and also communicate for the investors. So from your perspective and the environment where you're active right now, how do you see this moving further? Yeah, I absolutely um, think it is a movement of interests and people. I most certainly think that uh, the future is an interdisciplinary approach to business. It is become imperative that we as uh, so, you know, individuals and corporations are very intentional and very conscious of the impact that we have on people, including our employees and our customers and our shareholders, as well as the environment. Today, we are faced globally with increasing poverty and economic inequality has been documented, you know, by everything that there is, I think, at this point. The only thing that we can do to solve for that is increase access to capital, improve education and healthcare outcomes. And, you know, unless we do that, I mean, we can create products and we can keep building products and selling products, eventually less and less people will be there to buy them. So I think at the end of the day, it comes down to that. I you know, Do I certainly have views about how the world should be and how we can all try to be? I don't think I'm honestly better than anyone. I have my, all my own experiences and points of view. And the one thing that I am passionate about is that we must like bring our heads together and, and really act in a more interdisciplinary way, whether, you know, maybe a social scientist informs and the other way around, where the nonprofit world becomes more accountable in a way, which I really appreciate, but more accountable to business standards and actually supported in their pursuit to bring more business standards in, in their organization, which is, has not traditionally been, honestly, supported by philanthropy. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think the, the world interdisciplinary is key here. And uh, 
if I would give my own personal interpretation on that is another way of speaking about diversity, right? Because you're bringing people from different lived experience, different backgrounds to, to solve the issues that we are all facing in the end, right? So that's absolutely an excellent point. I uh, think about diversity, but yes, you're right. Interdisciplinary in every way from the discipline, theoretical discipline to the people. And the work you do is interdisciplinary, right? And your interest from this to I know working in healthcare, supporting women in uh, advocating for women in the workplace, it all comes uh, together. What I like to do towards the end of these episodes is that I ask my guests the same three short questions just to have an insight in what type of music you listen to or what you, type of books. What is at this point on your playlist, on the top of your playlist or on your nightstand? What are you reading at this point? I'm reading two things. I'm reading uh, Octavio Paz, who is a philosopher, poet and sapiens um, by Harari which I'm sure, you know, it's quite well known. Uh, yeah, so that, that's, I'm reading these two books. I'm, uh, I've read Sapiens in the past. It's a good overview of human history and bringing in different disciplines from different sciences. The one thing that's uh, stuck with me there is um, in conversation also with a friend who's a neuroscience is ultimately that maybe our ability as humans to evolve our behavior maybe the ultimate um, differentiation point between us and the rest of the animal kind, again, simplifying it. So I'm, I'm focusing on that. I love that. And I love philosophy. I love poetry. My second question is, do you have a piece of music or even a book that was really special for you at a specific time in your life and why? Yeah, well, certainly. I guess maybe I can uh, quote a Greek poem uh, of uh, uh, Ithaca, which is uh, by Kava Constantine Kavathis. And ultimately, that poem talks about uh, Ithaca, or Odysseus' uh, pursuit to return home to Ithaca, and that how it is the journey that matters, not the destination. So the destination is the drive for, you know, waking up in the morning, but looking forward to what the journey brings is, um, is what the poet talks about. And I am someone who is very goal-driven, so it's taken a lot of uh, time, a lot of life to um, enjoy, to learn to settle in the journey and enjoy. But I say that the more I do that, the more I find I, um, you know, of course I enjoy the journey more, but, but I appreciate all the surprises and the learnings that it brings with it. And third and last question, do you have anything you want to recommend to our listeners a specific song, perhaps that one they have on repeat, or even a book or something else? Yes, I mean, I think Sapiens is great, as it's just a big overview. And, okay, one song that came to mind is Lean On Me. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a great song, and perhaps on a larger societal uh, level, uh, the ability that we can lean on each other and, and think more about uh, you know, competition rather than competition. I think it helps not to feel alone. Um, before I let you go, would you like to share any last words with our listeners? What would they, you know, take out from our conversation today? Uh, yeah, uh, absolutely. I would say the takeout would be to um, you know, be humble and confident. And I'm sure, you know, your listeners are very curious human beings. Um, reach out to each other and uh, Again, question what you see and reimagine the future, whether that's your personal future or others. And I think always question 
whether why we do what we do as individuals or as groups or as businesses. And from there, innovation and greater happiness will probably result. And if you want to find us, as I said before, we are at equivical, E-Q-U-I-V-I-C-O.com, and would love to talk to you. Claire, this has been wonderful. Uh, good luck on your show. It's been, I've enjoyed listening to it and getting to know people around the world. Keep up the great work. Thank you. And thank you for being part of these people around the world who are making change. the CFA Institute, Environmental, Social and Governance, otherwise known under the acronym ESG, are non-financial factors increasingly applied by investors to identify risks and growth opportunities. The way I see it is that we are at the beginning of a new era of socially conscious and sustainable investing. I definitely like Eleni's approach with her firm Equivico, which is to make the world a fairer place in a profitable way. Equality and victory for all. You'll find more information about Equivico on their website at equivico.com, E-Q-U-I-V-I-C-O.com. You'll also find the link in the show notes. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I appreciate you taking the time. That was episode number 33, a conversation with Eleni Janis. Be sure to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. If you like our show, remember to tell your friends about it and share within your network. You can also connect with us through our social handles or our website. Until the next episode, take care of yourselves, stay well and stay inspired. This podcast was produced by Tom at Rustic Studios.